Hello there. How are you today? Come on in and join us. Make yourself comfortable. I'm your host, Dr. Linda uh, Ubeku, here on the Seats, Tables, and Invitations platform on Voice Over Nations. Uh, so glad to have you with us. I uh, hope that you've been listening to some of the other presenters on Voice Over the Nations. Uh, have a dynamic uh, lineup of uh, people here to encourage, to strengthen, to inspire you to be all that God has called for you to be. So I invite you and encourage you to listen to some of the others. And again, I'm your host, Dr. Linda Ubeku, and we're going to continue our discussion. We started a discussion on the podcast the other day about strife being um, a, a hindrance to um, to progress. And, um, you know, so I want us to take a look at that some more and really hone in on that. And we look around and we see things that are going on in our earth and we see, you know, the, the, the turmoil, the fear, the, you know, the stress, the worry, um, which causes all kinds of irritability and, and, um, you know, um, just, uh, heart conditions and and health conditions and all kinds of things because of strife, because of contention, because of anger, um, you know, that are coming from so many different places. So before we go further, though, I'd like to take a moment to stop and pray. Father, we just thank you. We praise you for this time that you've given us here today. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that your words are life. We thank you that your words are truth. And we expect, Father, that's just what it shall be for us today, that your word shall come in, Lord, and be truth and light unto us, Lord, that it would enlighten us about something, perhaps, Lord, that we're in the dark about certain connections, oh God. And Father, that we would understand you the better, the kind of God that you are, not, Father, just that you're a blesser, but Lord, that you're God of principle and Lord that you bless us and you deal with mankind and you deal with your people according to your principles father according to your nature and your character and we thank you father for this because this gives us uh, an opportunity it's not like uh, with someone that we can't depend on that they might be one way on Monday and by Wednesday they've changed and Friday there's somebody else and they're all over the place and we don't know what we're going to get it's a mixed bag but Lord you're not like that you tell us Lord God uh, the conditions of your blessings the elements of blessing and Lord you hold up your end of the bargain you're not a man that you tell lies and you're not the son of any man that you change your mind but you're the same yesterday today and forever and we can count on you father in the midst of a world lord god of changes going on all the time 24 7 in constant flux our world is father but in the midst of all kinds of change and transition you remain the same and we thank you lord god that that brings great stability and peace to our own lives knowing that we have one that we can count on, one that we can depend on. 
And we thank you. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. So um, as I said, um, we're going to continue uh, our discussion today about strife and really take a look at it, you know, and, and look to see uh, how does God uh, view strife and contention and, and all of these sort of things. So I'd like for us to go over to our famous scripture, Second uh, um, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And um, we're going to take a look at that, break it apart. Many of us, we know it, we know it by heart and we might, you know, think, okay, I know where you're going, but just give me a moment and we'll develop it. Okay. Beginning with verse 12, uh, it says, and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I've heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, will do several things, one, shall humble themselves, two, pray, three, seek my face, four, turn from their wicked ways. Then the Lord says, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. And he says in 15, now my eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. So he starts out in verse 12 and he tells Solomon, I have heard thy prayer. And then he gives him some instructions. He says, even though uh, there would be some things that would happen on the earth and I would allow those things if my people. So those were the conditions. Those were the instructions. And one of the things in the list of four things that he says, if my people will do this, he says, if they will turn from their wicked ways. Well, you know, um, many of us would say um, that we are aware, you know, of what God's wicked ways are and, and what that means. So I'd like to invite you to look at another scripture with me and um, we're going to see uh, what this all has to do with if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. So beginning with uh, verse 16 and continuing through verse 19, uh, he says here, uh, these six things doeth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So the first six, the Lord hates them. Number seven uh, is an abomination. Uh, that's an iniquity. That's something that's even stronger than something that the Lord hates. So number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. Six, a false witness that speak of lies. And then number seven is he that soweth discord amongst brethren. So that number seven is something that's an abomination to the Lord. Okay, so I'd kind of like to um, break down, you know, some of these. Um, so if we look at, you know, um, verse 16 again there. And it's telling us that um, that this is one of the things that that's an abomination to the Lord. And so an abomination is uh, To-eba or Tau-eba, uh, T-O-W-E-B-A-H. So an abomination is something that is a disgusting thing 
in a ritual sense or in an ethical sense and it's a kind of a wickedness so where are we going with all of this we're talking about uh, strife we're talking about how the Lord hates strife we're talking about that it strife itself is a type of wickedness and that the Lord says in outlining to Solomon the way in which he answers our prayers he says one of the things that we must do as his people that are called by his name, that we have to turn away from wickedness. And so if um, if uh, sowing discord amongst brethren is considered to be an abomination, considered to be something that is uh, wickedness to the Lord, if it's something disgusting to him, then it's something that ought not to be named amongst us. It ought to be something that we be on the lookout for, that we realize the damage that it can cause. You know, in the midst of us, when we look at Lucifer and we even go back to the, the Garden of Eden, What's one of the first things that he tried to do is divide uh, Adam and Eve from God. He lied, you know, and 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 got Eve to believe the lie and turned her against God, believing that God was holding out on them, that there was something that they were supposed to be able to do that the Lord hadn't told them and caused her to turn and believe this lie and begin to look at God through a different set of eyes. So right from the beginning, he sowed strife in, you know, even before he hit the earth, he tried to take over. He convinced one third of the angels to turn against God, to take over heaven. He wasn't satisfied being the worship leader in heaven. He wanted to be the one that was worshiped. And so he, uh, he sowed that discord from the very beginning. And it's one of the reasons that it is something that God hates, that it's an abomination, it's disgustable, and it's wicked to God. Uh, you know, um, in Ephesians, we're told uh, all of these phrases of oneness, that the Lord our God, that he is one, that there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. So, you know, um, division and two of things and striving and contending, that's never going to be of the Lord. And it's always going to hinder the progress of the work of the kingdom. So um, let's uh, further look at these words. So uh, it's uh, sowing. Uh, discord amongst brethren is an abomination to the Lord. Now let's look at the word uh, discord. Uh, in the Old Testament, discord comes from a Hebrew word, medan, M-E-D-A-N. And it means um, just what we think it means. It means strife and it means contention. And uh, some of the the other words, when you look at discord, uh, some of the other references um, are out of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 14. And this says, Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. So this lets you know the progression and where discord comes from. Discord emanates out of a heart that is froward. And we're going to look at that word and see what that means also. So that was Proverbs chapter 6, verse 14. And then if we skip down to verse 19, this was our uh, key scripture that we just looked at. A false witness that speak of lies and he that soweth discord amongst brethren. So that 
particular verse is making an analogy. There's an analogy between the person that's a false witness that speaks lies and the person that sows discord amongst brethren. They're likened as one of two kinds of something, okay? And so then in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, it says, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covers all sins. So the results or the product of strife uh, or the, the product of hatred is strife. So strife emanates out of a heart that is hateful, that, you know, hates his brother. And so in his heart, he's devising this mischief. This hatred is in his heart. It's eyeing this person and he's uh, is not satisfied that these things are in his heart. What he wants to do is the same thing that Lucifer did in the garden. He wants to turn people against each other. He wants to turn them against each other. If they're fighting against each other, then the enemy knows that God is not coming in the middle of that. There will be no revival, no breakout, no signs, no miracles, no wonders. There will not even be the answering of prayers. And we'll, I don't know if we'll get to that today, but we'll look at that. So this is a very serious thing, this strife. And oftentimes, you know, the subtle ways that it comes in when, when strife is, is sown amongst brethren. And it's not sown just out there in the air in the thought life. This is something that actually is a commission. It's not an omission or, uh, you know, leaving off or forgetting to do something. This is an actual something that the person has to use their will. They have to sit up here and think of this thing. And then they have to carry out this act to actually use their words to turn one person against another person, to pull one person over to their side and to cause that person to turn and look at another person in a certain kind of way. That takes effort. That takes thought. That takes calculation. It takes planning to do that. You see, it says here that this forwardness that goes with is part of the, the, the cord that's tied with strife. This forwardness is in the heart and it devises mischief continually, it says. So this is the thought life. The enemy has gotten in there and he's beginning to program the person where, you know, this person is in their mind all the time. For some reason, this person bothers them. For some reason, they have no peace about this person and they're not satisfied until they're sowing discord between two people. It's something that bothers them about about two people being in unity, about, you know, a, a husband and wife a walking together, being in unity in their home, raising their children. It's like the enemy eyes those places of oneness because discord is the opposite of accord, which means a type of oneness or unity. And so he eyes unity. He eyes accord. He eyes when people are getting along and he sits there and devises evil. He devises mischief continually. Continually. How can he break them up? How can he set them apart? How can he turn them one against the other? How can he make them hate each other? And in, in, in Proverbs 10, 12, it says that hatred is what stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So it's not that everyone is perfect and everyone has it all together, but when hatred is in the heart and that's the motive, then it stirs up strife. It causes something to... Uh, you know, to, to be bothered if there's oneness 
or people are getting along. So what should we be on the lookout for as we continue? When we see, you know, we we found a good friend or the Lord, you know, gives us a connection with somebody and we know it's a God connection. Both parties say that in the beginning, man, this relationship was of God, you know, and oh my God, the Lord is just opening up new doors and all of that. Well, the other thing that we need to be mindful of is that the enemy, in order to carry out his plans in the kingdom, in a family, in a neighborhood, in a city, in a country, he has to have discord. He has to have strife and contention. He has to have confusion. Um, and so when we see that there's unity and there's harmony, you know, we're not to be naive and just, you know, rejoice in it and all of that, you know, but we're to realize that we have an adversary, the devil, who's like a roaring lion going about to and fro seeking whom he may devour. So we have to be on the offense. We have to cover relationships. We have to cover our own mind. We have to anticipate that he's coming. He's coming after it. If it's beautiful, if it's unity, if it's togetherness, if people have found favor with one another, you can just best believe that he's he's looking, he's devising, he's plotting a way that he can get a hold of those relationships. Amen. And so uh, continuing on. All right. So when we look at this forwardness, um, you know, this is a a word. Uh, um, Tapuka, T-A-H-P-U-K-A-H, Tapuka. And this word has to do with deceit and fraud, forwardness. So it's found in a couple of different places. Um, if we would look over there uh, at Proverbs chapter 2. Okay, so in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 12, it says... Um, to deliver thee. Well, let's look up a little bit uh, further. It says discretion in verse 11. Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. To deliver thee from the way of the evil man. From the man that speak of forward things. Remember, the person that's striving is continually uh, devising forward things. Wicked things. Um, in... Uh, Proverbs chapter two, verse 14, it says, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the forwardness of the wicked. So not only is forwardness in their heart, but they delight in the forwardness of other wicked people. Remember, the Lord says in Proverbs chapter six, verse six, verse 19, that it, uh, the sowing of discord amongst brethren, that that is something that's an abomination to the Lord. And so here this person is, they not only have it in their own heart, but they delight in people that have forwardness or deceit and fraud inside of their own heart. Amen. And so then um, if we were to also look at this forwardness in Proverbs chapter six, verse 14, it says forwardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. So that was the one that we just looked at. And then I want us to look at one more in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31, where the definition of um a forwardness here, a type of deceit and fraud. The Hebrew word tapuka is also found in uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31. 
The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the forward tongue shall be cut out. So, you know, um, this is something that we want to watch out for. And then in uh, verse 32, it says the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speak of forwardness, speak of deceit, speak of fraud, devises deceit, devises fraud. And part of what they are devising uh, through deceit, deceit is to try to trick somebody to present something one way. That's another way a fraud, you know, uh, has to do with cheating somebody out of something through trickery, through lies, you know, through deception, through manipulation, through twisting the truth, through uh, uh, throwing shade on people and and, and making people uh, doubt somebody, somebody that they might have loved, they might have uh, ad admired, but when the person that's sowing discord gets finished, because all of these things are tied together, this person that's devising this wickedness continually, uh, this person who, you know, this is in their heart, a uh, hatred is stirring up this stuff inside of them. They're speaking these lies. Um, you know, they're speaking deceit and fraud in hopes to turn the person against somebody. That's the exact same thing, like I said, that Lucifer was doing in heaven and that he was doing in the garden. In the garden, he succeeded to be able to turn the mind, to turn the thought, to turn the favor, to sour it, to now cause them to change their mind, to renege. I thought that they was, you know, I thought that they was pretty cool, but I don't know about them, you know, and, and, and why do they say that after somebody gets finished whispering in their ears, uh, somebody that they admire or say it's a leader and, you know, the people should not go against their leader. The people should honor the leader, but, you know, uh, just like, you know, um, the uh, high priest, you know, one of the things when the high priests were voting, they were not supposed to uh, prejudice the vote by tearing their outer garment. If they did that, you know, nobody was going to go against them because they knew by tearing their garment, they had voted for or against the person. Nobody else was going up against them. So, you know, uh, uh, if a leader is, is got an art in, in, in her or his heart against somebody, you know, and the person is innocent. The person has not done anything. Say like a Saul, you know, Saul is the king, was the king. Saul had authority. Uh, Saul could make heads roll. You know, people were on the payroll and everything else. So nobody was going against Saul. The only one that the scripture said went against Saul was Jonathan, his son. And even he was in danger when he went against his father. And so, you know, you have this situation uh, going on where leaders that have not cleansed their own hearts, where they have all this garbage inside of their heart against somebody uh, 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 without a cause. The person hasn't done anything to them, but they find themselves being tempted by the tempter to sow discord. And so they just can start acting funny towards the person. They can just start warning them, you know, in generic or specific ways in their sermons about people that do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, while they're, they're talking about the person that's doing X, Y, and Z because they're, they're hints and they're different things that, um, 
are are pertinent to that person, even without saying the person's name, the people in the congregation, they know who he's talking about or she's talking about, and they will, you know, avoid the person like the plague because they're not going to go up against their leader. You know, they're just not going to do it. It's the same way in a classroom. It has been proven, you know, uh, through different uh, studies and education and all of that. The teacher is a leader in the classroom and especially amongst young children, they want to fit in. They want to, you know, be in the good graces of their teacher. They love their teacher. So the teacher don't even have to say anything. But if the teacher starts picking, he picks one student, say Johnny. And the teacher starts, you know, shunning Johnny, you know, speaking real cross with a mean look on her face to Johnny. When she gets finished, you know, treating Johnny that way, guess what? The whole classroom has picked up the teacher's feelings, the teacher's dislike, the teacher's whatever about Johnny. And then the kids pick up the cue and they start treating Johnny the same way. What has the teacher done? The teacher has sown discord in her classroom. She's caused there to be, you know, then there are fights on the playground. They are talking about Johnny. Johnny's going home crying. You know, uh, Johnny hates school now. His grades are plummeting and everything else. Why? Because the teacher could not keep her own self in check. She couldn't be mature enough in her interactions amongst those students not to prejudice them against Johnny, even if she had that feeling inside of herself. So, you know, this is a very dangerous uh, thing that I believe that God is tired of playing with in the body of Christ, because this often goes on too often with those that are supposed to be mature, those that are supposed to know better. And yet this garbage is sometimes down inside of the heart. You know, it's, um, um, it's, it's going on the wickedness, the mischief that's being devised, the whole mental thing that is going on, you know, instead of casting down the thoughts and the imaginations that come, you know, the mind being the place of warfare, instead of casting those things down, there are too many people that are entertaining these thoughts. They are not discerning. They are not rebuking the devil that's coming to them with this garbage. And so as a man think of in his heart, so is he out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so, you know, you see people carrying out these things because they allowed this mess to fester in their hearts. They've allowed the enemy to plant these seeds. Remember it says that God hates um, uh, and it's an abomination the one that sows the discord amongst the brethren. So you got to send forth that seed. You got to put that seed somewhere. And so when that seed is sown in the heart of somebody that discord or in the midst of a group of people in the midst of a church, in the midst of a family, in the midst of a city that thing is sown and it's not when it comes up, it's not in seed form. It's a harvest. And so then, you know, you find all of it, it becomes a culture and you look at the culture of what's happening in, um, in the United States of America right now, you know, and the, the strife, the contention is rife, you know, the sowing between, um, uh, people, you know, and you even see that it is definitely a spirit when you see people of the same color on, on one week, they was protesting against people of a different color that were, uh, uh, um, uh, given to the spirit of violence. And then you see uh, now it's, you know, uh, people of the same color 
that are shooting innocent babies. It's a demon from the pit of hell. And we cannot afford to play with this spirit. We cannot afford to entertain it. We cannot afford to keep it in our hearts and not deal with it, not judge these matters that are going on. And I'm telling you that God is coming to deal with this pink elephant that's in the room because when the whole earth with bated breath is waiting with anticipation for the manifestation of the sons of God and we cannot manifest the power of God, we cannot manifest the glory of the Lord because of this junk, you know, now let's, um, let's go over to one other place. Um, uh, don't want to get ahead of myself and want to, um, I want to look at two, uh, uh, maybe two more outcomes from this and then we'll see where else the Lord takes us. Okay. So let's, uh, flip over to, uh, some new Testament accounts of strife. Um, in James chapter, you know, James chapter three, that whole, the beginning of that whole chapter is talking about the tongue and it's, telling us of how powerful the tongue is, how we need to watch what we say, you know, how the tongue can set things on fire, you know, and it, so it can start things. It can initiate things that get out of hand in even this analogy that it can set a, a blaze, you know, can cause things to catch on fire. So, um, in verse 13, it says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But a flag in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. So here when it says, but if you have bitter envying, this is almost likened to the other scripture that says that hatred stirreth up strifes. In uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Uh, so here it's saying, but if you have bitter envy and, and strife in your hearts, don't glory and lie not against the truth. Don't be hypocritical is what it's saying. If you know that this garbage is going on inside of your, your heart, let me read it to you out of the, um, trans, uh, out of the passion translation. It says uh, in verse 13, if you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life guided by wisdom's gentleness. Never brag or boast about what you've done and you'll prove that you're truly wise. Verse 14, but if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being funny. Okay, so, you know, that's a whole nother way of looking at it. So a type of phoniness or hypocrisy when these things are in our heart it's best that, you know, the Lord tells us, he says that he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from the sin, from the nature of the sin, the propensity of the sin, the tendency of the sin. He will cleanse us from the sin and all unrighteousness. But that's if we confess it. If we pretend like it's not there, 
then, you know, there's going to be a problem. We're going to allow that seed to, to set there, to, to take root and to begin to produce a harvest inside of us. Pretty soon, you know, we won't be able to control it. That garbage will be down in the inside of us and we won't be able to help ourselves. We'll find ourselves as the, you know, as we just looked at, we'll be continually stirring up mess will be continually sir, a, a stirring up strife and contention and confusion and sowing discord. So uh, again, as I said, it's a very um, uh, dangerous thing. So here in uh, James, you know, this is talking about wisdom. Now the earth, I said in Romans chapter eight, verse 19, the earth is waiting for the sons of God is waiting for us to manifest. You know, Paul said, I didn't come with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but with the demonstration of the power of God, there needs to be some backup, you know, with what we are talking about, you know, the world is looking to see, you know, there's going to have to be a difference between those that talk about God and those that know God. And God will back us up if we know him. He will back us up with his power. Jesus told us, he said, to preach this gospel and I will be with you. I myself will be with you accompanying the word that you preach with signs and wonders. So the word of God ought to have some backup. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was tangible results of the word that he preached. He was not a word only, you know, in theory, uh, in uh, potential. It wasn't kinetic. It was dynamic. It was explosive. He lambanoed. The, the, the spirit of God inside of him was dynamic. It was like dynamite. It exploded where he went. There was a manifestation of what he was talking about. There was a testimony in the life of the people. So if it's all academic and sometimes strife will cause, not sometimes, all of the time, where there's strife and contention, it will shut down our access to God. It will give the adversary a legal right against us. And we'll find ourselves absent of, you know, uh, groping in the dark for the wisdom that this world needs and is waiting to see manifested through the sons of God. So we're going to have to give an answer and give an account for this gospel that we've been entrusted with and how we've handled it and how we've handled our own selves. It'll be a sign of our own maturity. If we can see, you know, when temptations come, the Lord says that, yes, there will be temptations. They, he said, I'm able to deliver you though from the temptation. So we don't get to use that as an excuse. You know, well, I just had this thing on my mind. Well, you, if you know that when you and so-and-so, when you and Sally get to talking, that's all of a sudden that Mary going to come up in the conversation and you're going to be having Mary for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just don't talk to Sally. Until you can be strong enough that you can tell Sally, listen, we're going to pray for Mary. That's all we're going to do. We're not about to have her for lunch. I'm not about to turn against her. I'm not about to try to turn other people against her in this one-sided story. How about we bring Mary in and how about we get to the bottom of some of these things? How about we do it the way that Matthew chapter 18 says that we do things? How about we stop this childishness? How about we stop this kindergarten behavior so that people may see the God that we serve, that there are people dying all over this world from COVID-19, 
There ought to be more testimonies in the earth. There, there ought to be more things that are going on. And I'm not excluding my own self. I'm including me. I'm saying church, I'm saying bride of Christ, we have to do better. And I'm saying we have to examine where strife is alive and doing well in our midst, where we are sowing discord, where we are not shutting down a strife, where it's being sown by others, where discord is being sown in our congregations, in our families, where we're respecter of persons and because causes uh, so-and-so or such-and-such that we let them get away with it. At the very least, we need to be praying against that spirit that's in operation inside of them. And, and we need to declare, not on my watch. I'm not going to allow this thing to have its way. I'm talking about from the biggest house in the land down to the smallest house in the land. We have to declare some things that we're not going to allow them in the name of Jesus. So, you know, um, if if it says for us not to lie here in James chapter three, verse 14, it says this wisdom, this kind of wisdom where there's bitter envy and strife in the hearts, that this kind of wisdom is not from above, it's earthly, sensual and devilish. Now, let me give you the definition of strife here in James. It is a Greek word, erythia, erythia. E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A. Okay. And this is a very interesting word. It means electioneering or intriguing for office. We see a lot of that going on, don't we? It's a desire to put oneself forward. It's a partisan and fraction spirit which does not disdain low arts. It's partisan partisanship and fractiousness. So partisanship, according to Merriam Webster's dictionary is the quality or state of being partisan, strong and sometimes blind adherence to a particular party, a particular faction, a particular cause or a particular person. Now we see all of that, you know, but it also says that it's an electioneering. It's like a contending for an office. And sadly, too much of the body of Christ has begun to think that our identity is in titles, in offices, in, um, you know, outward things, all of the things that Satan offered to Jesus, many, far too many have bitten the bait to think that that's the sign of success in ministry. And that the more that you have of those outward things, that the more successful that you are. And so a lot of times what's in the heart is, is, is an unsettled uh, place of identity, you know? And so if, if I'm not secure my identity in Christ in that, uh, in Genesis chapter one, that I was made in the image and likeness of God, uh, and that you know, this was realized or activated through acceptance of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If I don't have identity settled, then I start trying to find my worth and my value in all of these other things, including titles and offices and positions and money and things and all of that, you know. And yes, we are supposed to, you know, uh, Jesus gave the fivefold ministry. He gave the offices, you know, he gave them for purposes 
uh, the offices carried out as they should is a beautiful thing. It's for the equipping of the saints is one of the things that it's for. So it's purposeful and Jesus gave it, but anything corrupted, you know, as, um, Brother Miles Monroe would say, if we don't know the purpose of a thing, then that's the likelihood that we'll abuse the very thing because we don't know the purpose of it. So if we're trying to identify ourselves by these things, then, you know, um, we we start the abuse. And that's a lot of what we see. So here this in James, you know, it's talking about bitter envy and strife. And the definition for strife there is this um, um this Greek word that has to do with electioneering, like, you know, electioning for an office, uh, campaigning for an office, uh, you know, and you see how uh, the very way that it's done, it's it uh, in, in, in America and in many other countries, the way that campaigns, political campaigns mm -hmm. take place is the very definition for the word. Uh, strife here. And, and so it's one trying to outdo the other, you know, it's more allegiance to the party than it is to all of the people that are in that nation. And, you know, at the expense of the nation, at the demise of the nation, as long as my party is right, as long as I smear your name in the mud. So this is the same strife and contention that's going on. And the Lord says, uh, there through uh, James, he says, don't think that you're going to prosper. Don't think that things are going to go well in this atmosphere. And so he says that this kind of wisdom is from below. This kind of wisdom is not from above. And so we have to, um, if we need wisdom and we know that in the midst of, in an atmosphere of bitter envy and, and strife of jealousy and all of this, that the wisdom that's from above that we have need of, but we won't be able to access in this atmosphere, then it is upon us. You know, it's incumbent upon us that we attack that spirit, that we don't act like, you know, that we can't see it. We have to understand the dangers of this thing in hindering the progress of the kingdom and denying us access to the very things that we need to be manifested as the sons of God. So it says um, that where this is, there's confusion in every evil work. Where envy and strife are, there is confusion. So there's not clarity of thought. There's not the knowing what we are supposed to do. It's the very opposite of the wisdom that's from above outlined in the rest of the chapter. It says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So we are denied access to the wisdom that is pure, that is peaceable, that is gentle, that is easy to be received, that's full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We are denied that type of wisdom in an atmosphere of envy and strife. So it is for us to come against it. You know, uh, not to have no partisanship. I say this, that the beauty of the bride of Christ, like a diamond, is in the reflection of all of her parts. You turn that diamond, it's not just, you know, one way. It's the way that the diamond is cut and when it's put up under the light and you turn that diamond, it's the brilliance. 
you know, of all of it. And so this is how we have to be about the body of Christ. This is how, you know, in honor, we prefer one another. We prefer another before ourselves. And so, you know, we have to find not just honor with those that we like, you know, and those that we hang out with, those that we fellowship with, those that name the name that we name. That's partisanship. We have to be for the whole. We, you know, if which husband is it? that will allow you to talk about his bride, any part of her. He might know, okay, you know, her her feet are not her most lovely part, but he's not about to let you talk about it. You know, he may know that. And so there may be something that he's working on in a particular part of the body of Christ. But how come we cannot have the heart of the Lord to pray for our brothers and sisters instead of, you know, talking about them and rejoicing in in a fall and rejoicing when something happens? You know, it's one for all and all for one. And if they start coming after any one of us on this globe, they're going to start coming after all of us on this globe. And so we do best to stick together and be for each other and declare that we have one faith. We have one Lord. We have one baptism. No matter where we go to church that I'm, you know, just set our mind. I'm for the body of Christ, period. End of the story. I'm for the bride of Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. You have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Okay, you my brother, my sister. You might have some kinks to work out. I got my own to work out, but I'm for you. And I'm not going to entertain any mess about you. If they bring it to me, I'm going to cut that thing off. Because why? It is hindering the progress. It is keeping us from being manifested as the sons of God. It's denying us the power. I don't care how much power you walk in. I don't care how much the Lord uses your life. If you are a sower of discord amongst the brethren, you're not moving as you could. You're still moving at bare minimum level. And the Lord is looking down from heaven saying, I wish that they would. I so desire to move in them to the fullest capacity. I'm only able to operate in them at 30% because they won't deal with their mouth. They won't deal with the hatred that's in their heart. They won't deal with the jealousy and the envy. They won't deal with it. And because they won't, I can't take them any further. And so the last thing that I want to turn over to, and, um, you know, um, I want to look at one more scripture and we're going to stop for today. Again, we're in the book of James and we're one chapter over in chapter four. So, you know, in, in, in the beginning, uh, there were not, um, there were not, um, there were not chapters and verses. There was only, you know, just a thought, you know, there you had the author and you had the Lord inspiring him by way of the Holy Spirit. And you had their thoughts, you know, about a subject or a topic. So the book of James is a continuation of thought of something that the Lord was impressing upon him that needed to be dealt with in the body. And so his address is to the people of God. So in verse uh, and uh, verse one here of chapter four, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. 
you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so this way of the world will cause us to be denied the very thing that we want. The world might be electioneering. The world might be partisan. The world might be vying against each other and slinging mud at each other and sowing discord amongst each other and trying to divide and tear down and the house cannot stand because of it. That's the world, but that ought not to be us. And the Lord outlines, if we want our prayers answered, if we want the very desires of our heart to come to pass, you know, we can have this, that, thus, and the other going on. And this thing over here that we're saying, Lord, if you could just do this, I appreciate that. But if you could do this thing right here and that very, we need to examine why, why won't that happen? Why won't that come alive? And so I just, I know that this has been a serious kind of a stronger note today, but I say that it's necessary. I say that strife and the sowing of discord amongst brethren in the body of Christ, I say that it's one of the pink elephants in the room that needs to be dealt with so that we can make progress, so that the sons of God can be manifested on a greater level in more places. And, and, and that, you know, it, the power of God is undeniable, that miracles, signs, and wonders break out, that there is revival to usher in reformation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I leave you with these things today. And I just want you to, I'm not going to pray for us towards the end. I want you, if you took the message in, if you listened to the message, if you took it seriously, I want you to uh, commit to having some conversations around this. I want you to commit to praying and searching your own heart and seeing whether these things be found in you, whether you've been guilty of it in the past, you know, whether this has been your temptation, the Lord will deliver us. He will not leave us in a place. He reveals things so that he can heal things. Amen. And so God bless you today. Uh, I'm all about, you know, the body of Christ being the very best that it can be, being the excellent uh, bride, the beautiful bride that Jesus Christ calls for it to be. Amen. I bless you today. Uh, this is Dr. Linda. So glad that you've taken your time to listen and be with us today and go on and have a blessed weekend.